0: You take your Bible. Turn to Colossians chapter three. So Colossians chapter three, and I want to talk to you uh, about doing good works. And uh, good works? Question mark. Because sometimes we wonder about that. I was reading a biography this week of Thomas Helvis. He was the um, the first British Baptist, really. That was in England. We are pretty sure of that, or I'm pretty sure of it anyway. And in his confession of faith, he he drew up a confession of faith of things they believed in 1612. And Helvus was responding to the, to the spiritual errors of his time. And one of the things that these early Christians were saying, and saying it very plainly, was that justification before God or salvation comes through faith and not works. And this is a massive principle. Justification by faith. This is Romans 5, Romans 8. It's all through Scripture. We're justified before God by faith. We're justified, that's the wrong way to say that. We're justified by God through faith before God. God is the one who justifies us when we put our faith in Christ. Now, usually, when you preach about justification by faith, I find myself doing this all the time, is that I preach justification by faith so strongly, and I preach free and sovereign grace so strongly that sometimes people may think that Terry does not really preach about sin very often. He doesn't exhort us to live any kind of way at all other than, you know, enjoying being saved. But today I'm going to preach about sin. (laughs) So, a little bit. The text is going to help us with that. So I want to say to you is that the Christian person, if you have been saved... If you do know Christ as your Savior, there is a way that we ought to live. There is a way we ought to live. It's not just that we are saved and on our way to heaven, and that's all we worry about. If you're saved and on your way to heaven, there is a change that comes out in our life. We are to live a certain kind of way. Now, if you're not too good at living a Christian life, you can still go to heaven. Because we don't get to heaven by works or by performance. We get to heaven through faith in Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his letters to the churches, he's always telling the churches, he's exhorting them, he exhorting them over and over again to be sure to maintain good works. Be sure to maintain good works. Now, the question that comes into my mind when I read something like, something like that is, what does that mean exactly? Good works. Good works. Does that mean anytime I see somebody with a flat tire on the side of the road, I should stop and help them? Good work or not? Yes or no? You see your neighbor who is down in his back, his driveway's all full of snow. Shovel it or not? Shovel it. You see, I was was at Subway a while back, and there's these two kids, and they were trying to pay for their Subway sandwich with Subway gift cards. Now... I think they might have been stolen gift cards that were empty. And they were and they were saying, "No, this yeah, I got this gift card supposed to work." And so and I was watching them and I thought, "You know what? Valerie's given me a pretty good allowance this week." <laughs> <laughs> so I just paid for their their subways too. Good work or not? Good work. That's, right. that's all I do are good works. So is that the kind of thing that it means, good works? Or is is there something more practical to it? Because we could find people who are unconverted, who are not Christians, who do those kind of things. What is this good works business? What does this mean? Well, over and over, the apostles, they exhort us to be sure to do good works. You can read about it in James chapter 2, where James says, one man says he has faith. He says, show me thy faith. By their works, that kind of thing. Faith without works is dead being alone. In Paul's letter to, the, to Titus, a young preacher, he tells Titus to be sure to encourage the brethren to be careful to maintain good works. It's over and over again throughout the, the letters. Well, what are these good works? What are we supposed to be doing? Basically, I would say that the Christian works, the good works that we're supposed to be doing are... Or how we exchange the old life for the new life. That we are in conflict with our fallen nature and and the good works we maintain is the outworking of the Holy Spirit. Paul told the Philippians to work out your salvation, to take that salvation that's on the inside and let it come out. Now sometimes that's hard to do because we have two natures inside of us. We have the fallen nature and the new nature and they're at conflict one with another. So if you're driving down the road and you cut somebody off, or, or you have some kind of driving altercation, some of us let me say that differently some of you are tempted to wave at them with less than all your fingers. Now where, now, now, now where does that come from? The new nature, or the old nature. the old nature. Now, now your your manifestation of the old nature may not be that kind of thing. That's just an example, right? The old nature. We're always in conflict with the old nature. And so I think the Apostle is telling us here in Colossians 3 that the good works for us to maintain is the consistent putting off of the old nature and the putting on of the new. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read the whole chapter, but only preach from a portion of it. But I wanted to read the whole chapter because... This is a good chapter. If you're, looking, if you're looking for a pattern for life, Colossians 3 is a, is a really good place to turn to because it covers everything. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Sit not and not on things that are on the earth. The old authorized version says, set your affections on things that are above. Verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. I I hate verse 19. I'm going to tell you why. Because unbeknownst to me and I say I hate it, I hate it because every time I read it, it smacks me in the eye is because don't be harsh with your wife. Now, brothers, we, if, you, if you're like me, you talk to, you, uh, I talk to people all the time, and I'm very careful the way I talk to everybody in the world except one person. And guess who it is? Yeah, that's right. it's Valerie. If there's anybody I'm harsh with, it's her. You know, I shouldn't be harsh to her. I should be harsh to you. <laughs> but don't be harsh. It's, it's, so, it's so tough sometimes, isn't it? Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Well, that's pretty good. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Again, this is one of those things, provoking your kids. How do you provoke your kids? Well, you can be unpleasable. You can be unreasonable. You can have different standards for them and you. <laughs> when I cut the grass, if I miss something, <laughs> when Matt cuts the grass, Mitchell cuts the grass, get out there and get you it <laughs> you, you can be that kind of way. Don't provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Bond servants, for us, this would be like working when you work. Obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters. Not by the way of eye service, just when they're watching as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. See, this, this chapter 3 is pretty comprehensive about, what it, about every phase of our life. And you'll notice that some of the phases in life that you have are going to change. I haven't always been a father. I haven't always been a husband. So when I was a kid and read these passages like this, I was like, hey, then this doesn't apply to me, but now it does apply to me. But some portions of this apply to me all the way through. So I'm not preaching from 18 to 25, just 1 to 17. Now let's make a prayer together, and then we'll, uh, we'll walk through this. Father, I pray you would help me to say these things just the right way. And I, I, do, pro, I do ask for the promised help of the Holy Spirit in these moments, I pray. I pray that these words of your holy scripture would be like little healing darts that would fly into the hearts of those who hear these words and that they would feel their spiritual life be you know, kind of boosted up. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Notice in verses 1 to 4, we have the mindset that we need. If... Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. So it's if you have been saved. If you are a Christian. There's three key words here. If, seek, and set. If you have been raised with Christ. If you have been, have you had the new birth. If you've been born again. If you are one of Christ's children. One of God's children. If that's what you are, then seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. You have to... You have to change your direction, change your aim, change your objective. Now, most of our life, we are so focused on the here and the now. I mean, last week was just the most delicious week of this year, right? Warm, sunny, beautiful out there. And this week is going to be the worst year, the worst week of the year because that last week is not going to be repeated. But it's so easy to get focused on the things of this world. Our affections and hearts and minds can be so consumed with the here and the now. But Jesus says, if you are one of my people, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Live up. Aim up with your life and not down. Set. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind. Have you ever thought to yourself, you have a problem and you need to think about it? And so you sit down and you think about that problem. I need to think about this, or I need to not think about this. Now, people come and talk to me about stuff they're going through sometimes, and I'm a big fan of compartmentalization because that's how I deal with everything. If I have a trauma or a heartache or a tragedy in my past, what I do is I put it in a box, and I tape up the box, and I put that box in the back of the closet, and I don't open that box anymore. Valerie, Valerie, you know she's on Instagram. You know, the real Valerie. <laughs> no, I don't, know what her, I don't know what her Instagram is. Your Instagram at. That was an attempt at humor that failed. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie on she's Instagram and she takes pictures of the kids and then, what you get these little little thing called chat books and you can download your pictures you put on Instagram Instagram and they'll send you a little book for like ten bucks and you have this little little ready-made picture album. And she's got stacks of them, you know, because she wants to keep track of all the pictures of the kids as they've been going through different phases. And I never look at them because when I look at them, they depress me because there was Leslie's fixing to graduate from high school. There's little Leslie, little eight-year-old, nine-year-old Leslie, back when she was cute and sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Don't (laughs) (laughs) Don't provoke them. Thank you. There's a door. <laughs> I look back and I get kind of depressed. I get kind of sad because I, I get kind of, you know, melancholy. I start thinking about the past and, you know, thinking about how things were and how they're not going to be that way in the future. And um, so what I do to avoid all that kind of discomfort is I put stuff in boxes and I, don't, and I don't open them. I don't look at picture albums. If you got pictures on Facebook, I'm not looking back through them to see how you used to be. I mean... I take you as you are. <laughs> so you have to put your mind in a right spot. You have to think. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the heavenly realm. We can, get, we can become very discouraged in, with this earthly world that we live in when we see the way society and culture is just declining more and more. It, it can really get to you. So you have to set your affections on things above. Set your mind there. And we should do this, he says, because you have been united with Christ. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Our citizenship is not here in this world. It's in the heavenly realm. That is our home. We have that old song. We don't sing it here. But we sing it down south. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are all laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me through heaven's open door. Oh, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We want to go to that heavenly realm. That's our true home. That's our true place. That's where we belong. That's why we feel dissatisfied and disconnected with this world sometimes is because that's our true home. Now, those of you who are not Christians probably think that just sounds like cuckoo wacko talk. And that's because you don't know Christ. You don't know the Lord. When you know Christ as your Savior, when you've been born again, it's a supernatural thing. It's reorienting your mind and your, your affections towards Him. Towards Him. Now, why does He say this to us? He says, set your minds on things that are above Because you've died with him and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So when Christ is coming, he'll be glorified in his people. We'll share in that glory. You may not be in a glorious phase of life now. You may be in a a very distasteful phase of life. But that glory is going to be yours when Christ comes. So set your affections there. Your affections there. Now, notice the intentionality of this. It's something that you have to do. You have to undertake. Even though we've been born again, even though we have Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, even though we have been born again, we have to keep on realigning ourselves. We have to keep on setting our minds and our hearts above. Now, when I was a teenager, I went to youth camp every summer. Anybody ever go to youth camp in the summertime, go to teen camp? How many of you liked it? Did you like it? Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like it because, well, I just didn't like it for a lot of reasons. But every time I went to youth camp, I would would get there a heathen, right? Backslid, as they say. I would get there on Monday, just you know, just miserable, because it's a week of sermons. Maybe that's the problem with our youth camp. Our youth camp was a week of preaching. We had morning preaching, afternoon preaching, evening preaching, with games in the middle. Was that what your guys' was that what your youth camp was like? Mine was just a lot of a lot of Bible thumping. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. So I would get there on Monday. And the first sermon would be about what'd you leave at home? Because when you come to camp, you can't bring your, you can't bring your <laughs> can't bring your music. Can't bring your, your magazines and books and all, all the stuff that I love. You can't bring any of that stuff with you. And that's why you're miserable. What'd you leave at home? You know? And then they just progressively go through the week. And invariably some preacher would preach a sermon in different ways get the trash out of your life one pastor one time he had this big black trash bag and he said hey, get the trash out of your life and he'd reach in there and pull out a little 3 by 5 card and had it written on it something always something that I did <laughs> always something that I liked get it out of there and then there will be a sermon on holding the ropes you know there's three ropes holding you out of hell one of them is your mama's prayers but what about when your mama dies one of them is your church, and when you when you leave, get out of church, you know you're cutting another cord. And your third one would be, you know, the Holy Spirit. You know, you push the Holy Spirit away long enough, the Holy Spirit will come, quit coming back to visit with you, and you cut that cord, and you'd be, ah, you know, perishing. All week long, I would just be miserable, I, and I, and I would feel under conviction by the preacher. Not that those guys were bad guys, but I did get to feel under conviction. I felt bad about the sins I'd been committing. And I but I was a holdout. I would resist because they would have those altar calls, you know. How many guys have been to altar call? All right. And you know, there's altar calls that are coercive and altar calls that are not. And I can remember sitting there as a kid, and the pastor would say, Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, nobody talking. Is brother, heads He'd say, If the Lord spoke to your heart tonight, raise your hand. Well, he didn't speak to my heart, so I did not raise my hand. And he'd say, I see those hands. And he'd say, If you're here tonight and you're sure you're a Christian, put your hand up. Well, I was kind of sure I was a Christian, but I didn't want to let anybody know I was a Christian, so <laughs> I wouldn't raise my hand. And then he would, then, I, 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 I used to think, I wish these invitations would just stop right there. But he would say, Is there anybody here tonight who's doing things they shouldn't be doing? Raise your hand. <laughs> My dad's right behind me, I'm not confessing. <laughs> and they would just go through the laundry list of these things. And, every, and to be honest with you, every sermon nailed my hide to the wall. Every sermon, because I was just a heathen. And the last night, Thursday night, after I'd been punched up, punched, you know, just beat up all week by the preaching, Thursday night, I'd go forward in the altar call. And somebody would meet me there, some minister, some preacher, youth worker would meet me there and pray with me. And they'd say, Now stand over here to the side. And I would stand over to the side. Because you had because then you had to testify, tell about what happened. And so then I would say, you know, I got right with the Lord. I would cry because I really I really I, you know, I would cry and say, you know, I wanted to go home and do better. <laughs> and I'd leave there and within just a couple weeks, guess what? I was right back to being a heathen. I mean, it was like that never happened. and and This is how it is as a Christian sometimes. Sometimes you find yourself realigning yourself every week. You're you're always getting out of whack with God. And we're we're reminded over and over in Scripture that we have to keep on working at this. You're always a work in progress. You're always being remade and refashioned and reformed and, and realigned and... And, and renewed over and over again in your Christian life. So it's something that we have to take an active role in. God ha- when God saved us, the Holy Spirit moves inside of us, but we have to cooperate in a sense. We have to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We have to put ourselves... Well, We've got to do some putting. Now look at verses 5 and 7. Now notice the word put here. You'll see it a couple times. In verse 5, it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. And then if you skip down a little bit, uh, you'll see some some more puts as we go along. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's a strong phrase, put to death. Now, the vices mentioned here in verse number 5 are sins that made God angry. And remember, he's talking to Christian people. He's talking to the people at Colossae. He says, verse 2, Colossians 1, 2, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for, for all the saints. So he's talking to Christian people, and he tells them, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly within you. Put to death these things, sexual immorality. What does that mean exactly? Sexual immorality. It means if you're having sex with somebody you're not married to, you need to stop. You need to stop. Sexual immorality is is wrong. Now, seems to be the world that we live in, you know, it's always been this way. The unsafe people don't care. You may say, well, hundred years ago they cared. No, they didn't. They never cared. The most shocking thing I read in William Manchester's three-volume biography of Winston Churchill, the most shocking thing that I read about that was that Winston Churchill's father died of syphilis that he caught from dirty girls, they called them, prostitutes. His syphilis was so advanced that his physician said to never have sex with his wife again lest your wife catch syphilis. This is over 100 years ago. Probably whens Churchill might have born 1885. This is way back there. Now, how does Mrs. Churchill respond to this? She goes out and finds herself in the course of her life before she dies, she has herself 208 different lovers herself. Two hundred and eight. When I read that, that you know, <laughs> I couldn't believe what I read. Some people may say, well, it's because she was an American. (laughs) She was an American. (laughs) But it's just, sexual immorality is a sin. And even if everybody you know is doing it, it's still a sin. Don't do it. Don't do it. And you say, well, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say, don't have sex with somebody you're not married to. And. It'd be nice if a lot of folks who believe that said amen when I said it, <laughs> to be honest, because you've got to have some support from the floor sometimes, right? You've got to let people know where you stand. <laughs> don't do it. If you have been doing it, knock it off. You can't go back and undo it. You cannot go back. But you can have a better tomorrow. Don't do it. And there'll be some of you, you're, maybe you're thinking about it, but don't do it. Sexual morality is, is bad. It's a bad thing. It's one of those things that he says should be put to death. Impurity kind of goes right along with that. Passion. Evil desire. Covetousness, which is idolatry. These are bad. And we know they're bad because look at verse number six. On account of these things, the wrath of God is a coming. These things in verse number five are the sins that are going to cause the wrath of God to come. So these are very bad. It's interesting here that he says it is put to death. Now he's going to tell us to put on and put off as you go through but this he says put to death. Kill these things. Kill these things. In these, verse 7, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Now he's going to expand. Put away anger. Anger. Anger is such a crazy thing, isn't it? When you're mad, you don't think straight. When I was a little kid, I'd pick on my brother. If I got my brother mad, he, he would just go, Whoa! and I'd just go, pam, pam, boom, boom. Because he would get mad and he couldn't think straight, he was just flailing. And you know how it is when you get mad you don't think right. You do things you would normally do, you say things you would normally say. You when you get mad. When I was a kid my dad would get mad. I confess my dad's sins for a change. When I was a, a kid my dad would be working on something in the garage and he would say go in the house. And when he said go in the house that meant that something in the garage was about to die. <laughs> <laughs> Anger, put it away. Wrath. This is an interesting word. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very, the, the, the Greek word for it, it means a very strong emotion, kind of a breathing through the nostrils, you might say, a, ver, a very burning kind of anger. There's malice, wanting to do wrong to other people, malicious intent, you know, Slander talking about people behind their back, being sure everybody knows their business, etc. Obscene talk from your mouth. We must put these things away. And it mentions these particular things because these are the kind of things that we struggle with. Christians struggle with these things. You should not be surprised when you hear Christians doing these kind of things because Christians are sinners. But Christians, we should be trying to not do these things. Put them away. Don't lie to one another. Because you have put off the old self with its practices. You're, you're putting off and putting on. We've put off the old life, now put on the new self. Look at verse 10. And I've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This renewal of knowledge is kind of what we're doing here. I'm informing you. And what I'm telling you probably is nothing you haven't heard before but I'm renewing your knowledge of it. I'm letting you know it's still there in the Scripture, coming back to it. These are things to put to death. Things to put away. Put away. Now, what do you do when you're done using something? What do you do? You put it away. You put it away. In my backyard, you know, I put the the snowblower in the shed last week. So what's about to happen this week? I take full blame <laughs> because when I parked it in this shed, I thought, as soon as I park this in this shed, the snow's going to come back. And guess what It did? Here it comes. But when I'm done with it, I put it away. I was tempted to put away my winter coat. Actually, I did put away my winter coat. I hung it in the closet. Now, I store my winter coat on the back of the dining room table chairs. <laughs> That's where I store my coat. And I see a few ladies grimacing. Valerie has tried in vain to get me to put it in the right spot. But You know what? She will not she's not the boss of me. <laughs> I know Tom, Tom is burdened for me. I'm going to can, can I ride home with you? <laughs> So when we're done with things, we put them away. And this is what the apostle says. Put these things away. Just put them away. You say, just put them away. It's easier said than done. But this is the thing. We're, We're done with this kind of stuff. We should all be done with it. We don't need this stuff anymore. We don't need to behave these ways. We should put them away and follow the new self. Now in verses 12 to 17, the apostle says, here's what you should put on. Now, the Greek idea here seems to be of sinking into or putting it on or clothing oneself in these things. Putting these on. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones. Now, this is interesting. If you are chosen for a special task by someone, what do you want to do? What's your objective, then? If your boss comes to you and says, I have a special project for you. What's your mindset after you hear that? Is it indifference? Or do you take it to heart? Do you feel really good about it? Which is it? I got a job for you to do. Put on as God's chosen ones. Because everybody who has put their faith in Christ is elect of God, is beloved by God, is kept by God. And here the apostle uses this turn of phrase in an interesting way, as the chosen ones, as those who've been chosen to serve God in this special way. Live this way. Take it to heart. Put it on. Put it on. Put on what? Holy Beloved, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This is what we're supposed to be putting on. These are the accoutrements of Christianity. These are what we should be applying ourselves to and living out before the world. This is the kind of people we are. One of the most convicting passages of Scripture in the Gospel of John about the Christian church is this. By this shall all men know that you are, you are my disciples and that you have love one for another. This should be the, the overarching testimony of a Christian church that they love one another. That they love one another. Now, I love Valerie and Valerie loves me, right? <laughs> now, does Valerie like Every single thing about me," he said. "Tell the truth, dear. Of course she doesn't. I put my chair on the back. I put my coat on the back of chairs. And our, our bed has post. We have a, our bed has post. <laughs> Y'all know what's coming, don't you? My pajamas go right there. <laughs> No, it's, it's it's a heavy burden to be married to such a great man. <laughs> but even even though we don't, I don't like, and do I like everything about Valerie? Yes. <laughs> I almost said yes while crossing myself, <laughs> but I decided not to. I love her. And she loves me. We don't like everything about each other. There are some things about her that drive me crazy and vice versa. But people who know us and live with us, that's our kids, you know, they know that we love each other. And I don't run Valerie down behind her back. She don't run me down behind my back. She doesn't get on the phone and call her mama and say, mam, 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 mam. I don't get on the phone and call my mama and say, mam, 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 mam. I protect her reputation. She protects my reputation. I care for her. Somebody wants to talk bad or snappy about her. You know, I don't, I don't put up with that. We, we watch out. I watch out for her. That's illustrative of how we are supposed to be with each other as, a, as Christians. It doesn't mean that we approve of everything that every single person here does. It doesn't mean we all, that we, all, we are all, all 100% alike, but that overarching attitude of love and care for one another. Because I'm sure there are some people here, when you hear me preach, you think, oh, I, I can't stand it when he gets on that topic. But we have love one for another. This is the overarching thing. Now notice what the apostle says about this love. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love for one another. If you, if, you, if you really need to know what love is, let's just turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and be sure we're acquainted with, with the definition of love. That's is what the apostle says. It says 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not the kind of love that's based on merit and performance. Put on then this love. Now notice verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. Peace. How do you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart? How do you let it it work? When it uses the word rule here, rule in your hearts, it is the idea of, of governing you. Don't be a source of schism. Be a peaceful person. Don't be given to fits of disturbing the peace. Let peace govern you. Jesus, when you read about Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus is a very peaceful person. He's very calm. You don't see Jesus as an incendiary person. Let peace be what you are. Be peaceful. Let me say it a different way. Be a little chill. Don't be wound up all the time about everything. You know, we we, we live in in a world where these social agitators are everywhere. If you watch the news, you're going to be agitated. If you, and I don't watch the news, but if you watch the news, you're going to be agitated. They like to stir people up. No matter what news outlet it is, they, the controversy sells papers. You know? Now, I put in my notes here, I actually wrote this down to quote Taylor Swift right here. You guys know who Taylor Swift is. <laughs> it flashed into my mind this morning while writing this sermon. To say, in the words of Taylor Swift, <laughs> "You need to calm down." He <laughs> gets so enraged about things. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To indeed, what you are called in one body peace rule in our hearts now 16 and 17 and we'll be done let the word of Christ dwell in you richly let the word of God make you better let the word of Christ let the gospel of Christ let it teach you let let it admonish you I wonder how we're, we're Almost a quarter of the way, I guess a third of the way through the year. And I wonder how much time you spent in this year with God's Word, with the Bible. I mean, everybody's got a Bible. You get on your phone. How much Bible reading have you done this year? You got plenty of time to read. I know you do. Because you got Facebook, you got televisions. We all have a lot of time. You got to wait in line for stuff? We all have time. I got Bibles everywhere. I got I got I got them in the dash of my truck. I got them in my little in my little uh, little Heidi Hole place. I got two New Testaments down there. I got the Bible on my phone. I got the Bible everywhere. It's easy to have God's word around. How much Bible reading have you done? I put down here something else to say it's kind of snappy. You guys want to hear it? Don't let the Bible be like Florida, a place you visit once or twice a year. (laughs) You're not going to be sorry if you read the Bible. You'll be sorry if you don't. Reading the Bible kind of lets lets you know what's going on in the world. It's good information. It's good information. There is a principle for life. Verse 17 and we're done. A life principle. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. Are all the things that you're trying to do in your life able to be done in the name of Jesus? Now there's now most things you can, you can do this. In the name of Jesus. Why? Because Peter was a fisherman. <laughs> and James and John were fishermen. Now there's only one person in the Bible. I'm going to talk about that. But Jesus said, "I will make you fishers of men." Oh yeah. <laughs> You can can do lots of things in the name of Jesus. You can hunt, you can play basketball, amen, volleyball, soccer. You can drive a hot rod in an NHRA race in the name of Jesus. There's all kinds of things you You can do that honor and glorify God, things that are not sinful. But there are a lot of things that that cannot be done that way. It's kind of a life principle. Whatever you do, whatever you're going to do it, in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Well, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a second. Now, this is not going to be an altar call, but it's going to be altar call-like. But I want you to, want you to just listen carefully. Where, where are you at in your life? right now are you you a Christian do you know Jesus Christ as your savior have you called upon him have you come to understand that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness are you a Christian have you intentionally on purpose put your faith in Jesus Christ are you a Christian Secondly, if, if you are a Christian, how's it going? Is this, is this one of those days when you need to realign and readjust? Maybe you realize that today you've, you've gotten off the right path. You've gotten off balance. You've gotten some things into your life you shouldn't get. You, you know they shouldn't be there. You need to get out, get them out of there. Picked up some new habits are you backslidden, drifting away from God? If that's where you are, Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sins shall have mercy. Confess it. Forsake it. Move on. Move on. Are you... Are you dealing with stuff from your past? You're worried that these things are, they define you forever? Well, my friends, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, your identity is in Christ. What's past is gone. You're going forward. Now, after after we have the benediction in in a minute, if you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be here at the front, I'll come. I'll pray with you about anything you need. You want to pray about? If you have questions about becoming a Christian. Maybe you don't want to talk about it today. Take one of those connect cards. Write your name on there. Ask ask for for me to call you. I'll call you and talk to you. Whatever, whatever it is, be just to pray with you. We'll pray with you. Now let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word and. I thank you for Jesus Christ who has come to be the Savior of all who will call upon him. I pray, Father, that you would help me to live up to this sermon. To be, to be the kind of Christian man that this passage describes. Help me to put to death. Help me to put on. And Lord, let me, help me to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart and to let your word change my change my mind. I pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.